0: We're going to go to Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Today, we're, to, we're still talking about hurt, being hurt, being wounded. We know life is full of wounds and hurts, some intentional, some not intentional. But God has a plan, and God has a plan for our healing. Like I said last week, I don't always agree with God. I don't believe in God because I agree with Him. I believe in God for a whole other list of reasons. And one of the things I don't always understand about God uh, though I have I have an explanation if we had time for it I would give it and I won't because we don't but that God lets Satan bring his best before he brings his best he lets Satan take his best shot at us that's what happened in the Garden of Eden and I think it has a lot to do with free will it has a lot to do with he's given us dominion over the planet and so he gives Satan a shot at us but God always comes and so God has a plan to bring healing and wholeness to our life. In fact, when Jesus came one day in his ministry, early in his ministry, very beginning of his ministry, he goes down to the temple, and he stands up in the temple, and he makes this announcement. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Look at that. That's all about emotional and spiritual healing that's all about healing me up from the wounds and the bruises and the broken heart that life has given to me Jesus based his entire ministry on inner healing isn't that amazing and I thought it would really be good weeks ago when we were talking about this series we thought it would be a great idea to uh, talk to a physical therapist Because how many of you have had that experience? You've gone to a physical therapist. How many raise your hand if you've been to a physical therapist? Most of us in the room. And I've had some amazing results with physical therapists. A, a, A torn rotator cuff that would have had to have surgery for, but because I did what the physical therapist told me to do and I went regularly, totally, totally well, I still do some of those exercises they taught me to do. And. Uh, knees, everything, even after my prostate surgery, went for physical therapy. And they were just fantastic. So I'm a big believer in physical therapy. And uh, so uh, uh, Susan Norcross, who attends our church, is a physical a, a phys- physician's assistant down at uh, Milward Hospital. She hooked me up with a physical therapist who was willing to do an interview. And we're going to make the parallels today between going to a physical therapist and having them direct you into positive pain, pain that heals rather than pain that injures. And so we're going to do, right now I want to show you an interview that we did with a gentleman named Patrick Harris. He used to be physical therapist for the Indiana Pacers and the Boston Celtics, and now he's with a practice called Rebound Physical Therapy in Natick. So great guy. I think you're going to appreciate uh, him and some insights that he and I talk about. Let it roll. Well, I'm really excited today to have as my guest Patrick Harris. Patrick Harris is a physical therapist with Rebound Physical Therapy in Natick, Massachusetts. He's been doing that for the last three and a half years. And um, we're talking in this series about emotional, uh, recovering emotionally and spiritually from the hurts and the wounds that happen to us in life. Uh, They're inevitable. And most of us, if we've lived very long, we've had physical hurt and physical injury that's led us to someone like Patrick, who takes us through a process to recover our functionality. So, as Jesus always went from the known to the unknown, and so that's what we want to do today. I want to uh, ask uh, Patrick a few questions, and he's going to help us understand some of the processes that they go through physically that parallel to our spiritual healing and growth. So Patrick, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, You're a physical therapist, and people come to you in dysfunction and pain. Something's not working, they're in pain. How do you define success in your work every day? Yeah,
1: so success in my work is is kind of dual. So success in my work, I also define as success in life in general. Um, Having been through physical therapy myself and seeing how rewarding it is on the patient aspect, Um, I want to pursue that from the other side so from the clinician aspect Um, so for me success is going through the day helping people actually feel better and function better in their daily lives and it is extremely rewarding on my part and I kind of take that through my daily life
0: as well I think that kind of for us that explains the gospel to us the gospel is the good news Mm -hmm. that people can get better and feel better get their lives back Mm -hmm. and uh, so that's what leads a lot of people like me <laughs> into this profession as well. Yep. Uh, now we know that when we go to physical therapists, that um, that I've been there before, and I didn't like the pain that they would lead me into and direct me into. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what are some of the greatest challenges you face in getting a person to go from where they are to where mm-hmm. they need to be? Yep.
1: So the the biggest challenges um, they're actually kind of twofold. So first and foremost is the understanding of what they are going through, uh, and specifically what they are going through, not is what, not what is happening to them. Individuals will most likely come to us after having seen at least one, but usually many other healthcare practitioners. We have the fortunate um, ability to actually spend a lot of time with our patients, which is something that other healthcare practitioners don't have. In that, we can explain to them a little bit more what is, what is happening. Uh, getting them to understand what is truly happening to them um, and with them is certainly helpful to kind of get their head wrapped around it. And having them understand that they are a part of that, not that it's just happening to them. The second part is getting them to then buy in. They understand what is now happening. We explain how we can then help them feel better and how they are a part of that plan. Um, and getting them to really buy into that is the is the second big challenge. But when they kind of get over those two, you've already made yeah. a large progress yeah. without even you know having touch the patient at all.
0: I, I think that's an excellent parallel to to the to emotional and spiritual healing, uh, because we too have to get people to stop focusing so much on what happened, mm-hmm. who did it to them, if it was a person. Usually, it is yeah. to. What can I? How can I take ownership of this? Yep. And move forward. And you know, uh, we're we're in a huge uh, crisis of now of, of people abusing pain medication. Yes. Yeah. And uh, do you find that people you have to move them from wanting to use medication to heal them rather than action? Often,
1: um, and way too often, in my opinion. So. One, I, I, I like to use a lot of, a lot of anecdotes and it kind of helps individuals maybe get a little chuckle, but also understand what I'm going to going to explain to them in very few words. So one of my favorites is motion is lotion. So motion how, is lotion? Motion is lotion. That's good. Yep. So the more you move and the more you move in a healthy way, the better you feel. And we don't need all of, you know, certainly there's a, there's a time and place for pain medication. but when that kind of stays as your pattern for too long you end up depending on that and more than just a a chemical sense you end up depending on that in a behavioral way as well oh I can't do that unless I take a pill whereas if yeah whereas with they are moving their their motion is now their medication and that self fulfills itself you feel better when you move and therefore you want to feel better the next day so you continue moving and it kind of creates a nice, a nice pattern.
0: I, th- I think that's a, well, that's an awesome point. I think that's our, our two, our two professions yep. really converge when you talk about that. Cause people do the very same thing with spiritual pain, oh, yes, yep. emotional pain. Yep, They'll use drugs, alcohol, uh, e- even other behaviors, anesthetized to escape the pain. Yep. yep. And, um, you got to face it, of course.
1: Certainly, Yeah. certainly, uh,
0: and and that brings us to another I mean, another question is, we know most of us our pain started with an injury, mm-hmm. it started with something that causes pain. Mm-hmm. So I can remember a, a physical therapist telling me after knee surgery, and he's bending me and stretching me and telling me I have to do these, I, sh- I need to do these exercises. He said, "If you don't do it, you're going to get crunchy knees." <laughs> That's what. He-
1: is that <laughs> Crunchy knees. Yeah. Is, is
0: that a medical term? Uh, not not technically. Maybe <laughs> we can work on that. <laughs> but uh, but I think I'd really like to get some understanding uh, about the difference between pain that causes injury mm-hmm. and pain that heals. Pa- sure. Pain that positive pain. Yep.
1: Yep. Uh, so for me that in part comes down to the language used. So, um, actually, so even when you had your injury, what would you describe your, your injury pain as right when it happened?
0: Well, it was like three different knee injuries that okay. led to the surgery, and uh, e- each time I injured it, the pain was worse. Yep, uh, um, I, I,
1: but not necessarily as much of the amount of pain, the, the quantity of pain, but the quality. What did it, what did it feel like?
0: Um, well I don't know if I know how to answer that. <laughs> is,
1: and this yeah. is this is pretty common for my interaction yeah. with a patient. So uh, a couple options for you: we have uh, sharp stabbing, we have shooting. Um, there can be a um, lancinating type pain, or you can have. I think sharp stabbing. Sharp and stabbing. All right. <laughs> so just in the the language behind that, sharp and stabbing. It's very abrasive, kind of. Um, almost fear-inducing, right there.
0: Tra- trauma.
1: Yes, trauma. exactly. Yeah. exactly. So, discussing that with the patient and focusing more, you know, acknowledging the the quality of pain. Where somebody says they're in a ten out of ten, I understand that that was certainly painful, but more of what it felt like. Because yes, when we are going through our plan of care with certain things like stretching, you can you can rephrase it so that they know. Okay, wait, this is this is the positive pain, rather than having a flashback right to the episode that caused it so you describe it more as a as a lengthening or an opening up
0: oh yeah and and that kind of helps you
1: distinguish this is something that's helpful. I
0: think the spiritual and parallel parallel to that would be like the pain of forgiving someone Hmm. is really different and it's what you're describing it's a lengthening it's moving forward it's really different than the pain of the abuse right that you have to forgive. yep so it really is. Uh, I hope everybody listening can catch that. Yeah. Nuance
1: there. Yes. Yep. Uh, I would totally, totally agree But with it's that. painful.
0: I mean, to, to forgive Certainly. someone yeah. is extremely uncomfortable.
1: Yep. Me. Definitely. And sometimes physical therapy is also very yeah. much uncomfortable. Yeah.
0: But it's so necessary. Uh, well, this is great. Great yeah. stuff. And uh, I'd, I'd like to hear, before we close, I'd like to hear a, a success story. Yep. Sure.
1: Um, so success stories, Every day. I'm sure, you have many. Yes, every day. But it um, would still
0: be a business. <laughs> exactly, it wouldn't
1: be a business. And honestly, I wouldn't. I wouldn't really be getting from my profession what, what I wanted without these success stories. Right. And it could be as simple as, you know, somebody just wants to be able to walk to their mailbox and back without pain. I've I've worked in uh, professional athletics, professional basketball, and for them, their success is is much different. But it's all, it's all based on your goal, and that's something that we discuss with a, with a patient right off the bat, is what do you want to get back to? Um, so during uh, graduate school, I worked in an inpatient setting, in a, in a hospital setting, in a long-term acute care. And you have some very sick and hurting individuals there. Um, one day I walked in, uh, I had read this, um, this young man's chart right before I went in and saw him, so I, I knew what I was walking into, and I wasn't really looking forward to it young man about my age at the time um, who had been involved in a, in a gang-related incident where he had been shot three times in the back, um, broke multiple bones, but one of the bullets came within a millimeter of um, severing his spinal cord. Luckily it just bruised it, but that for him actually meant that he still had almost a pseudo-paralysis. So the effects were the same, the physical damage was less. but. This was something that we were going to be able to recover from. It would just take a lot of work. So this young man, um, first of all, getting him to understand what was happening. He doesn't really know. He's young. He's scared. He doesn't doesn't know. He's sitting in a hospital bed and he can't move. So from that first day, asking him what his goals were, and he actually almost asked for permission to to ask if it was okay if his goal was to walk again, to stand and walk again, um, which was... Pretty pretty meaningful in just that. He had already actually, without me even doing too much, had already kind of conquered that, that one of those first goals of understanding that he was going to be a part of it, that it was going to take a lot of work on, on his part. So from that first day where I actually had to pick his hand up in order to, to shake it and say that we were going to get him to his goal, to the very last day that I worked with him, which was my last day on rotation, we actually made a full walking lap. Around the around the hospital. Yes, it was it was incredible to see. It was very emotional for the entire staff. Um, It took us about forty five minutes to walk a couple hundred feet, with many many seated rest breaks. But I mean, he did it, and he was absolutely ecstatic. And I was almost as happy as he was, but not quite, because he he did all the work. It was great. I was there to to kind of guide him to to help him through, but but he was the one that did it. It was really cool.
0: I think, I think that that story really captures the healing process that the church is trying to do in people's emotional lives mm-hmm. and spiritual lives. And, and uh, the ability, what we want for people, is the ability to do the things that bring them joy. Mm-hmm. The ability to do the things that bring the people around them joy. And like this young man. And I'm just very, very... Uh, optimistic that our conversation today is going to help some people so. move into a place of um, of, of being well and yes. being whole. Yep, enjoying their life again. Thank yep. you so much, Patrick. We really appreciate it. Thank I you place. for having me. Yes, thank you. When we were done filming, uh, Jason used this phrase that had not come to my mind yet. He he talked about. He said he made the statement that we're we're working to uh, increase people's range of emotion, not range of motion, but range of emotion, and that that really nails it because woundedness and brokenness restricts our range of emotion, and we get stuck. We get stuck. We're going to talk about that as we proceed in the next few minutes. We get stuck in anger. We get stuck in fear. We get stuck in low self-esteem. We get stuck, and Jesus came to do what? Set us free. He came to set us free. The word for brokenhearted is translated bruise, break, broken to shivers, broken-hearted to break in pieces. Our language that we even use reveals the reality of our condition. We say, I got bent out of shape. <laughs> I'm devastated. I'm crushed. You hurt my feelings. I'm hurt. When did one of those phrases happen to you? Maybe when over time it became obvious to you your parents preferred one of your siblings, or at least that was your perception. Maybe when your parents got divorced. Maybe when your mom or your dad had an affair. Maybe when you found um, or a bully showed up at school or in your life socially and kind of made it clear every day they owned you. Perhaps it's when a family member, a neighbor, or a friend of the family violated you sexually or that sexual molestation became a pattern. Maybe it's when you picked up your spouse's phone and checked their text messages and revealed another love interest in their life. Maybe it was when you checked your spouse's history on the computer and that was a moment of great wounding to you. Maybe, maybe some of you got hurt in church. Church leaders lied, manipulated, deceived, do the things that we sometimes do out of our brokenness. The good news, though, is that two of the four reasons that Jesus came, that he stated in our text, was to heal bruises and broken hearts. Two of the four reasons. I, that just speaks so loud and clear to me. That Jesus could have said all kinds of things in this inaugural statement. He could have said, I'm here to save the world. He, I'm here to establish a, a godly government. I'm here to establish a theocracy of government. He could have said any of those things. But what he said was so intensely personal. It was so intensely personal. I've come to heal broken hearts. I've come to set it captive People who were bruised. And his audience was a bruised bunch of people. They were being dominated by the Roman government, by the Pharisees, by all kinds of manipulative people. Times were hard. But Jesus says, I came to help you. So God cares about how you feel. A mistake that the church has made in trying to preach faith, we've said feelings don't matter. But feelings matter. God cares how you feel. God cares about your hurt. He cares about what happened to you. He has a plan for your full recovery. God has a plan for your full recovery. He, though, is the focus of your healing, not your offender. Your condition is real. Your prognosis is curable. Many of you know that I, I've been on a medical journey myself. I'm still on a medical journey. Started with being, being uh, diagnosed with prostate cancer back in October of 2015. Surgery, and they keep checking you throughout the process. And uh, as I've gone through this process, uh, after a year, my, my, there's a number called the PSA, which kind of tells you what's going on in the area of the prostate. It started to go up and then the second test it went up, third test, it went up. And finally I met what my urologist a few weeks ago and he told me he said I think we're gonna have to do some additional treatment, which I did not want to hear that at all. But he said these words to me. This is curable. Ah, I can handle that. I can handle treatment. Much better what I know what I have is curable. And I've gone for further tests and I met with the oncologist about a week ago and he said, Phil, your numbers are low. He said, If your number with this, and he never know, I'd be worried, but this is curable. Well, I told you that because I want to kind of let you know what's going on with my health. So I'm getting ready to go through some treatments and I'm gonna be fine. Everything's gonna be cool. By the way. Just this is a total aside, not about my sermon at all. Well, kind of maybe. I never ever say, I try to never say, let's say it that way. I've learned to never say never. (laughs) I try to never say after I get a good result, like I go get, they sent me for a bone scan the other day and I hate to go for bone scans, you know, I don't like going for bone scans because it means they may think something's there, right? I never walk away from a bone scan and that my bone scan came back clean, by the way. I never get that report and say, oh, my bone scan's clean. God is so good. I never say that. I try to never say that. Because God's goodness has nothing to do with how my bone scan comes back. And we, I believe, I I know this is totally, I'm getting way off topic. I don't have the time to do this because we got some more stuff we need to share with you today. But I believe we need to be more careful about saying, boy, I almost had a wreck. God is so good. Well, if, when you say that, what about the person who had a wreck? What about the person whose bone skin didn't come back clean? Did they come back and say, my bone scan they found cancer in my bones. God is so bad. <laughs> God is terrible. No, God is good. Life is hard, but God is good. Amen? One of the big lies of the father of lies is that life can't be as good as it would have been if the big wounding in your memory had never happened. I said one of the big lies of the father of lies is that life can't be as good as it would have been if the big wounding in your memory had never happened. Everything in our experience with God tells us just the opposite. Just the opposite. The life that Christ will even himself enjoy eternity, will be enhanced because of the wounding of the cross. He has multiple brothers and sisters who are you and I and multiple family that will, will number into the multi-millions, no doubt, because of his wounding on the cross. Joseph was able to find the purpose of saving an entire civilization from famine and saving the Jewish race because of his wounding. No, it is a lie that because you were hurt or wounded as a child or wounded in, in marriage and divorce and wounded in the workplace, it's the biggest lie of all that your life can't be as good if that had never happened. It is the opposite what Satan intended for evil, God intended for good. <laughs> Amen? In Jesus' statement, notice, notice I'm talking about this focus on Jesus, and that's so critical to you getting better. When you go to the physical therapist, like Patrick was so pointing out, when you go to the physical therapist, it's about you and him or you and her, you and the physical therapist and what you are going to do and what they are going to help you to do. And they're going to put you back in charge of your life. They're going to put you back in charge of your movement. They're going to, they're going to give you instruction. They're, they're going to move you in a direction. They're not going to, they're not going to bring back the person who rammed into the back of you and that caused you to have a, a, a whiplash in your neck—they're going to say, "No, we got to get them in here, and we've got to talk to them and make sure they understand that, that how what a sorry driver they are, and they got, they've got to apologize to you before you can get better." No, we don't. I've never had a physical therapist that really wanted to talk to me very much about what happened. I mean, I don't know Wayne Morrow. Are you in the room? No physical therapist ever, ever asked me to tell them that you ran into me at second base <laughs> and hurt my knee originally. <laughs> or I think I ran into you, I don't know, maybe. That, that, that was what it all, right over a melon Phil going into second base, me and Wayne had a uh, collision, and then uh, many other collisions after that. There's no mention in Jesus' statement, I came To heal the broken or broken heart. No mention of offenders, uh, only Jesus, because Jesus is the agent of change and you are the one who's going to get better. Not fully trusting Jesus is still the reason we don't get healed of our bruises and our broken hearts. Healing begins with trusting Jesus. When you admit to Him that you are bruised and brokenhearted, when you admit to Him, some of us have made our way to a recovery group and have taken this first step which while we're usually coming to terms with our pain, we're also causing pain, you know. But we've gone to, many of us in this room have gone, like the CR and other groups, and we've come to terms with the pain we're in. We've come to terms with the fact that we're wounded. Now, some of you in this room, though, would only go to a recovery group if you were running it. You can't fully face the reality that you are bruised and brokenhearted. But your friends know and wish you would get help. Your kids are wishing every day that you would know that mom would just realize she's wo- a wounded person. That dad would just realize he's a wounded person. Your 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 spouse would fall on their knees and lift their hands and praise to God if you would admit that you're hurt. You might even have an employer or a client who wants to offer you some profitable opportunities, but you have behavior that has its genesis in a wound, behavior that causes them to withhold promotion from you and business from you and things that would actually make your life so much better. You see, we can't fully function when we're wounded until we get healing, and we can't fully get healing until we admit that we're bruised. Until we admit that our heart is broken. Christ came to give us abundant life. But we have to first say, God, I have been wounded. I have been hurt. I have been bruised. Now here's signs that you may be bruised and broken hearted. You can't stop feeling sad. You can't stop feeling mad. You can't stop rehearsing the painful memory. Isaiah 42, 24, and 45 says, Jesus, God is talking here. You have burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your offenses. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my sake, and listen this, and remembers your sins no more. The reason God is able to remain God is he doesn't remember the wounds that we gave him. Now, does, remember does not mean that he doesn't, is not able to know about them. That he's not able to, to, that he's forgotten them. It doesn't mean that. It means he doesn't rehearse them. He doesn't even rehearse them to himself. Not only does he not rehearse them to us, but he rehearses, he doesn't even rehearse them to himself. If you will take the wounds of life and stop cursing them, stop cursing them. Stop cursing them. Stop nursing them. Disperse them and watch God reverse them. Amen? Stop cursing them. Stop nursing them. Disperse them and watch God reverse them. Number four, you've lost the capacity to be kind to your offender or those who remind you of them. Some of you, it's, Whenever you start a sentence with men, women, or some of you really broad people, <laughs> you've lost the capacity to be kind to your offenders or those who remind you of them. This is what we mean by blessing offenders. Now we know that's a complicated thing, and we don't have. You, maybe they will get some counsel if you don't know how to do that. Giving boundaries is not the same. Giving boundaries is is necessary. That's That's a part of the action that actually will bring you into healing. For some of you, this is so critical that you learn to give people boundaries. Giving boundaries, though, is not the same as doling out punishment. You can be really kind to people while you draw a line in the sand. You can be really kind and really blessing with your tone. You can be magnanimous and generous with your tone while you say, no, you're not coming in. You can, you can deal with a smile on your face and you'll be so much happier and so much healthier when you stop being so angry and you stop living your life in rage. Jesus wants to heal you of being enraged. We are, be, we are to be delivered. The, the Bible says it. We're to be delivered from wrath. Wrath is a work of the flesh. Wrath is a work of the flesh joy is a fruit of the spirit the greatest sign of your emotional recovery is that your range of motion a range of emotion jay includes joy amen number 5 you don't engage in or enjoy deep intimacy with god number 6 you become unaware of your own offensiveness there's no way I can see and correct my own sins and weaknesses if I'm focused on criticizing someone else's. Number seven, you get stuck and lose, your, to, to use Jay's point, you get stuck and lose your range of emotion. Proverbs 22:24 says, don't hang out with angry people. You become an angry person. Bruised and broken-hearted people get stuck in anger. It's not fair because bitterness is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. It doesn't work. Remember our text. Jesus said, I came to set at liberty them that are bruised. Getting bruised leaves us bound by restricting that range of emotion. When's the last time you had fun? You laughed. You cried. You thought, it doesn't get any better than this. When's the last time you had a a day like that? When's the last time you held someone you loved in your arms tightly and said, I love you so much? Jesus came to set you at liberty to do those things. Anger and sadness aren't the only emotions we get stuck in. We get stuck in fear and low esteem, un- in a- unable to stand up for ourselves. That's a part of it, too. You can't stand up for yourself without getting angry. The only time you can stand up for yourself is when you get really angry. And so you're, you're not helping the situation. But when you get free, you can stand up for yourself without being enraged or, or, or intoxicated. How do we get healed? How do we get healed? How do we move into healing? Well, look at how Jesus healed people physically. Jesus told a man with a withered arm, stretch out your hand. Jesus told a lame man lying on a mat, take up your mat and walk. Jesus took a blind man who was blind and he told him to go to the pool and wash in the pool of Siloam after he had put mud in his eyes and he did it twice. Jesus told ten lepers to go show themselves to the priests. Jesus told his best friends who were mourning over their dead brother, take you away the stone, remove the stone. Jesus asked an obvious blind man crying out for mercy, tell me what you want. Jesus used the metaphor of a mountain to describe what we have to move in order to go forward and taught us how to face our mountain, speak to our mountain, and believe Him to move our mountain and then make sure we have unconditionally, without request, forgiven people who've hurt us. Jesus said all of that. Imagine all the objections, those people that I just mentioned, all those cases. Imagine all the objections. I can just imagine the man with a withered arm. He's in the temple. He's hiding his withered arm because it's illegal to be in the temple with any kind of deformity. So he's hiding it underneath his robe. But the searching eyes of Jesus, who looks for your hurts and looks for your wounds, saw the harm that he was trying to hide from everybody. And he said, stretch it out. And imagine the man said, if I stretch it out, I get kicked out of here. If I, if I stretch it out, it's going to hurt if I stretch it out. Jesus said, stretch out your arm. And somehow that man courageously pulled his robe back and he showed every judgmental, unmerciful, unforgiving person in that room a withered arm, a wound in his life. And he stretches it out and it probably hurt a lot. It hurt a lot. Hurt till he got it here and he hurt till he got it here. But then when he got it here, he was free. He was healed. Every, every case that I mention, I can't take up my mat and walk. I've been laying here for 20 years. I can't do that. Every one of them, Jesus asked them to do something they could not previously do. That's the way Jesus heals you. I, wasn't that a great statement? Motion is lotion. <laughs> no one I know. Forgiveness There are many things we need to do. Forgiveness is a big one. We can't forget that. Forgiveness is one of the big, big therapies that we have to do to get better. And no one I know better illustrates this than the Auschwitz survivor, Eva Kaur. Eva Kaur was a twin. She and her sister Maria were taken to Auschwitz in 1944 along with her mom and dad and two older siblings. And they get to Auschwitz. There, the famous doctor of death, Joseph Mengele, waited for them. Joseph Mengele personally, personally oversaw the death of 400,000 people, and plus these gruesome medical experiments that he did. On these poor people and they get there her mother gets pulled away from her her father her siblings and when they saw that she and her sister were twins they begin to shout twins and her mother oh those twins and her mother said is that a good thing and they said yeah that's a good thing and so they took the twins and the last thing that Eva remembers is seeing her mother's outstretched arm being pulled away from her and they took her entire family to the gas chamber and they took these two little girls two little six-year-old girls and they began to do gruesome medical experiments on them because the Nazis wanted to figure out how to have a greater birth rate of Nazis. And so they wanted to have more twins born as Nazis. Gruesome, unbelievable things. And I'm going to show you a little video clip in closing where she has, uh, I want to set this up for you. She has, she has, at one point, reached out to a Dr. Munch it was a doctor, another doctor at Auschwitz, conducting these horrific medical experiments on Jewish people. And he was, she approached him and asked him to sign an affidavit saying that what she said was true so she could show it to the Holocaust deniers. And he agreed to do this, and he signed this affidavit. And she met him in Auschwitz. He signed this affidavit. And as one day she decided, I'm going to give him the gift of forgiveness. It took her four years to write a letter of forgiveness to Dr. Munch. And I want you just to hear the end of her story and think about about what you need to do, what you need to stretch out, what you need to move into in order to be the incredible, awesome, wonderful person that God created you to be to be the powerful influence that Jesus died on the cross for and redeemed you to something better than someone who's bound by your personal hurts and disappointments throughout your life. I want you to hear Eva as she tells the rest of her story. We'll be back in a minute to pray.
2: I wanted to say this Nazi doctor of his willingness to document the gas operation. I didn't know how to say a Nazi. I didn't tell anybody about it, because even to me it sounded strange. I didn't want anybody to change my mind. After 10 months, one morning I woke up and the following simple idea popped into my head. How about a letter of forgiveness? from me to Dr. Munch. I knew immediately that he would like it and that was a meaningful gift. A Auschwitz survivor gives him a letter of forgiveness to a Nazi doctor. But what I discovered for myself was life changing. I discovered that I had the power to forgive. No one could give me that power. No one could take it away. It was all mine to use in any way I wished. And that became an interesting thing because as a victim of almost 50 years, I never thought that I had any power over my life. Now, I began writing a letter and I didn't know how to write a letter of forgiveness. And it took me four months to write it. And then I thought somebody might read it and I, I, my diction in English is good, my spelling is not. So I wanted my former English professor to correct my spelling, so I called her. We met three times and third time she said to me, Now, Eva, very nice, you forgive this Dr. Munch. Your problem is not with Dr. Munch your problem is with Dr. Mangala. I was not quite ready to forgive Mangala. She said to me, okay, I have been meeting with you, correcting your letters, now I want you to do me a favor. When you go home tonight, pretend that Mangala is in the room and you are telling him that you forgive him. And I want to find out how would it make you feel if you could do that. Interesting idea, I thought. And when I got home, actually, I did something else. I picked up a dictionary and wrote down 20 nasty words, which I read clear and loud to that make-believe mangle in the room. And at the end, I said, in spite of all that, I forgive you. Made me feel very good that I, the little guinea pig of 50 years, even had the power over the angel of death of Auschwitz. So that is the way we arrived in Auschwitz. Dr. Munch came with his son, daughter, and granddaughter. I took my son and my daughter. I read my declaration of amnesty, which is a very good little document and uh, I signed it. Dr. Munch signed his document. I felt free, free from Auschwitz, free from Mengele. So now that I have forgiven him, I knew that most of the survivors denounced me, and they denounce me today also. But what is my forgiveness? I like it. It is an act of self-healing, self-liberation, self-empowerment. All victims, all hurt, feel hopeless, feel helpless, feel powerless. I want everybody to remember that we cannot change what happened. That is a tragic part. But we can change how we relate to it.
0: Healing begins when God, not our offender, becomes our source of healing. When obedience, not offense, becomes our focus. The people who get better, who've made a difference in this world, are people who have learned to stand firm and love well. If you're here today... And you know you have work to do. We have some wonderful prayer partners standing waiting to pray with you. We're waiting to pray with you. Let us help you on this journey of becoming complete and whole, moving beyond what happened to what great things will happen as you become the person that God called you to be. Would you come right now out of your seats, come and be prayed for. If you have anything else going on in your life, You can come down for that too. We would love to pray with you. Please partake of communion. Whether you have a need in this specific area or not, please partake of communion. Let's enter into response time, Bethany. Let's become the people of God.